I want us to look at a prayer meeting in the early church. It's found in uh, Acts chapter 4, and uh, we'll be turning there in a moment to look at this early church prayer time. But before we do, I wanted to start by asking you something, and it's this. Have you ever been in a situation when you suddenly felt caught up in something bigger than you, and you suddenly felt you had lost a little bit of control? Anybody ever been in that kind of situation before? One or two hands going up. A few examples of what I mean would help. Um, I was 13 years old when I rode a horse for the first time. I was, I was 13. And a friend of mine at school, his father had a farm up in Hawara, up the, up the island there, and uh, 2,000 acres. And so we thought we'd pitch up there for the weekend. And uh, uh, in the second morning, he brought out two full-grown horses, one for him and one for me. And uh, so I remember getting very anxiously up on this huge animal, and I got up there, and then for the next hour or so, we just plodded really slowly around this farm, you know, because I couldn't take much more than that. Anyway, we, we finally got to an airstrip, a crop dusting airstrip, a paddock, and it was flat, hedge at the end, and, uh, and there we were on this plodding horse. And of course, when you're 13, you kind of feel a bit indestructible. You know, you see what horses are supposed to do on TV. And so I remember kicking my heels in and saying, let's go with this. And uh, so this horse took off. It really did. It just flew. And uh, I was on the back of it. And uh, my friend flew after me on his horse. He was far more experienced. But we were belting down this airstrip. And uh, it was thrilling, I have to say. Wind through your hair and you're galloping along. And you know what it's like, those of you who have done it. Of course, there came a point where I realized that no one had taught me how to stop the horse or slow it down. (laughs) And I still remember the hedge getting closer and closer. And I began to panic. I felt swept up in something far bigger than me. That's the point. And... uh, And finally, there were two options that opened up to me. One was that the horse would leap the hedge, like I've seen them do on telly. Uh, The other option is that it would stop short and I would go over the hedge. Now, in fact, a third option opened up, and that was this. I went into the hedge. And and that's because my friend came up with something, grabbed the reins, hauled the horse back, he turned sideways, and I went in. And um, the point is, it was that sense of of power carrying me forward into something beyond me. Ever ever experienced that? In fact, the other day, actually, I came across it again, another example of this. I was down at Plymouthton Beach, and uh, the wind was howling down there like the wind can, a northerly wind gusting through. And of course, down at Plymouthton Beach, if it's a gusty day, you often find these guys here, those kind of kite surfers down on Plymouthton, and they go shooting off into the wind and they just rocket across the bay or they leap into the air. It's an amazing thing to behold. So anyway, I'm down there at the kind of, the end of Plymouthton where it kind of channels in towards the bridge, towards Parramatta Bridge. It's cha- a bit more protected. And I'm sitting there and just down below me there's a guy who's just starting, all right? He's, a, he's not an expert, and, uh, but he knows enough to know what to do to get this kind of parachute thing, this is a sail thing into the air. And he gets it up and he kind of goes really, really tentatively across the water, really slowly. Got this thing. Of course, there comes a moment when this northerly gust just blows through. At the precise moment, he does a, a little jump. So he does a, a little jump, and this wind catches him up to at least three times his height into the air. And, uh, and he's close enough for me to see his face. <laughs> and, he's there, and he's like this. And it was like he was being swept up into something far more powerful than him, suddenly. 
And the reason why I'm sort of asking the question is because I think, you know, there are times in the book of Acts when the disciples must have felt a little bit like that. You know? Times when the wind of God, Wairua Tapu, the Holy Spirit comes among them, picks them up, and carries them into a whole new experience of God and his power. I mean, there are many examples. Acts 2 is an obvious one, isn't it? You know, Acts chapter 2, the 120 are in the upper room, and it says in Acts 2, it says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and, and filled the whole house where they were seated. And you know what happens then? Tongues as of fire. They spill out of the upper room onto the Solomon's colonnade or the temple. Um, they're speaking in funny languages, crowds coming in, wondering what's going on. It's mayhem. It's mayhem. But by the end of the day, 3,000 people have been added in. That's what we're told. So at breakfast time that day when there's 120, another day like the others, by tea time there's 3,120. And uh, I think throughout that day, I can imagine Peter and John and the other disciples looking at each other thinking, what is going on? What is this? It's like, where is this going to take us? The Spirit of God has come. And you'll see this again and again in the book of Acts. I, could, there, I haven't got time to go through all the examples. Acts 13 is a favorite of mine, and there are others. But, but I want to focus on a one particular other example, and it's close to the passage where we're going to focus in on in Acts chapter 4. And in this particular example, the Spirit comes upon a gathering of the church and again sweeps them up into a whole new level of encounter. We read that the building shakes where they meet. It says the Spirit of God fills them and a whole new wave of miracles breaks out in chapter 5 to such a degree that even says at this point, it says, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. All right, it's like the whole thing suddenly amps up several gears as the breath of God, the wind of God again, blows across the church and catches it up. And you see, what I find so provocative about all these accounts and acts, and actually throughout history, because it's not just in the book of Acts, there are times in history, aren't there, when revival power comes, the Spirit comes upon a people and then just opens up a whole new wave of God. But if you look at all those events as well as in Acts, you'll find this, you'll be provoked by the fact that, that prayer seems to be at the setting off point for these great moves of God. Prayer has a major part to play. It's like going back to the kite surfer. It's like the Spirit of God is, is blowing and prayer seems to be the act of raising the kind of sail up into the air to be caught by God. Prayer is the act of raising the sail and the wind catches the sail. And so... Um, I wanted to look at this really, you look at this back in even Acts chapter 2 actually, you think, well what, what were they doing before the Spirit came? Uh, we're told in Acts 2 that they were constantly in prayer, uh, and so on and so on. And of course in Acts 4, in the passage we're looking at now, we see exactly the same thing. The church is gathering to pray, and then the Spirit breaks in and catches them up into His great purposes. And uh, we're going to look at that. So, so we know prayer is important, but what makes Acts 4, this passage in Acts 4, so interesting and, and why we want to focus in on it today is that actually we get to see the prayer meeting in action. 
we get to see them pray. It's a unique thing in the book of Acts. We see them pray. And so we get to see the kind of prayer that raises a sail up that catches the wind of God. All right, that's the point. And I think if you look at it with me, it's an eye-opener. It's an eye-opener. So I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to ask God to open our hearts as well as our eyes to see what's going on in this prayer meeting in chapter 4 because I do believe it can change us personally and also as a church. So can we just pray? Pray with me. Father, I want to thank you so much that you are here now by your Spirit. Oh, Father, thank you that, that we don't have to dress up for this or go to some building somewhere. But Lord, your promise is that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are. And so, Father, thank you that you are here by your Spirit. And I pray that as we look at this prayer meeting from years ago, you would please come upon us in power Amen. and launch us into a whole new experience of prayer, a whole new experience of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here it is, Acts chapter 4. Tim's going to come up in a second and read the passage, but just a bit of context as he comes up. All right, Peter and John. Peter and John had earlier been taken in by the Sanhedrin, the authorities, and, and they'd been threatened by the authorities and thrashed publicly. All right, thrashed. So, so the leaders come back and they gather the church, and we don't know where they met, probably in a, in a big home somewhere, with a room or a courtyard, maybe the size of this hall here, maybe larger, but of course we've all got nice neat rows. But back then there would have been hundreds crammed in to this prayer time. And, uh, and the, the apostles, or James and, uh, sorry, John and, and Peter, they come in and they, they're bleeding, they're aching, they've been thrashed, they come in, the church gathers around, and then this is what happens. You can follow it on the screen. Thanks, Tim. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through, your, through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they had been meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Okay, thank you, Tim. Well, um, I would suggest that's quite a prayer gathering, quite a prayer meeting. I mean, when was the last time you were in a room praying and, and it shook? Um, unless it was last night at 20 to 8. Apparently there was a little bit of a, an earthquake or something. But, uh, uh, but, but really, we've not had that kind of experience before. This is an amazing prayer time. And uh, again, it's like the raising of the sail, and it opens a door in a moment to an astonishing move of the Spirit. And there are a few obvious things we can learn. I'm just going to mention three to you this morning, three things about this prayer meeting. All right? Number one is look how much confidence and faith is there in the meeting. I mean, they are full of assurance 
all the way through. Even in the face of threats, this is a confident bunch. And it's no, and, and they shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us because you just need to look at how it starts. How it starts, here we go. It says here, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, most commentators will tell you that that is a hint that the verse that comes after is actually a song. So we should be singing the first or the next verse of this, of this prayer. And, uh, and look at what kind of song it is, right? This is like them starting their, their prayer meeting, a guitar in hand, and they start to pray a song or play a song. Well, what kind of song is it? Well, it's not a miserable old song, right? It's not, in the bleak midwinter, it's not that kind of song. I know some might enjoy it at Christmas time. It's not, it's not abide with me. Fast falls the evening tide. All right? It's not that kind of song. All right? It's not... <laughs> Some people really think, that's, I love that song. I know, I know. But they weren't singing it here. They may have sung it some other time, but not here. Not here. It's not a song like, you know, life is so hard and I am so small type song. It wasn't that kind of song. Or even, and Jesus is my very, very good, good friend type song. Not that I'm against any of those, because he is a very, very good, good friend. No, it's, it's this. It's, O oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And he goes on to talk about how God works in history. In other words, it's a huge picture of God. It's focusing in on his, his sovereignty. And that word sovereign, it's a, it's a profound word. One commentator, James Montgomery Boyce, says this, sovereignty means that God has absolute authority and rule over his creation. In order to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. If he were limited in any one of these areas, he would not be entirely sovereign. In other words, as their prayer meeting is getting underway, they have a huge picture of God. And it's a picture not pumped up by hype or smoke machines or, or whatever, but on the truth and the being of who God is. It's based on truth. And folks, can I suggest that this is the kind of prayer that opens a big door for a big God to move? Kind of reminds me of King Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple way back in the Old Testament. You remember when? You know, they build this temple in Jerusalem. It's glorious and, and they want God to come into his temple. And uh, Solomon at the doorway dedicates it all to God and he prays this prayer. And when he prays, he begins like this in 2 Chronicles 6. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. That's how he begins. He doesn't build up to it. He starts there. And the rest of his prayer is glorious. And then it says in chapter 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And the Israelites knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Wow. That is a big prayer and opens a big door for a mighty visitation of God. 
And this is prayer focused on a true understanding of the nature of God and it opens the door to him. It reminds me of a song we used to sing here, actually. I haven't sung it for a little while. And the refrain goes, Who shall we say you are? You're the living God. Who shall we say you are? You're the great I am. The highest name of all. You are all you say you are. I imagine that was the kind of song they were singing in that prayer meeting back in Acts chapter 4. That's how they start. And the thing is, this is faith that the Spirit of God responds to. It's like the kind of prayer that lifts the big sail up for the wind to catch. You see, sometimes I think this, I think our prayers sometimes are a little bit small. Instead of a big sail, they're more like a, you know, like a, a piece of string flapping in the breeze. You know, Lord, it's so hard. Lord, I'm not feeling great today. A lot of our prayers can be sometimes focused on ourselves, on me, on me. And the trouble is that if we start that way, that's often where we stay. We never really rise above that. Folks, more often we need to start with truth about God, how sovereign he really is and how faithful he is to his purposes and promises. And so this week we're going to be praying big prayers because we want to raise a big sail to catch the big things that our big God is doing in the world. Amen. And let me tell you, he is doing such things. I was at a meeting last night hearing what God is doing in some of the countries where Islam is still so strong. It was breathtaking. I had a, just, just amazing what God is doing. He's doing big things. So that's the first thing to say about this prayer meeting. Their prayers were shaped by a truth understanding of God. Second thing I note is this, is, is what they prayed for. Right? What did they actually pray for in this prayer meeting? Well, it says in verse 29, they prayed for this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, I find that really interesting. You see, the church here isn't praying for God to take conflict and pressure away, but to strengthen them to break through and overcome. Right? I mean, they're not praying, please, Lord, make the Sanhedrin be nice to us. You know, they're not praying, Lord, take away the bad guys and make it a bit easier. No, it's really this. It's, Lord, in the face of our enemies, in the face of our fears, give us the courage to overcome and move forward and bring the kingdom in. That's what they're praying. You see, that's really important. You see, whether you realize it or not, the reality is we are involved in a great conflict. There is a war going on. Now, I know it doesn't look like it this morning. We're not dressed like it. But nevertheless, it's true. It says in Ephesians 6 this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there is a spiritual enemy who is opposed to you and working against you and would love to see you bound up in fear and too afraid to step into all that God has for you. All right? There is an enemy. I'm not talking medieval fairy tales. This is biblical truth. There is a spiritual enemy against you. You see, my own story would be this. I came from a totally unchurched background, but when I got saved as a teenager, I got saved into a church that did not believe in any kind of spiritual enemy. Satan or demons had no belief in that at all. 
said it was just fairy tales. And so I grew up in that church or grew older in that church with a totally cynical outlook. Yeah, whatever. We don't believe in that stuff anymore. But let me just tell you this. I have been pastoring for 35 years now. And I have seen such expressions of evil, personal and, and intentional, that I think would shock many of you. And I know better now. All right? I know better now. I've learned a thing or two. There is an enemy who wants us all to remain bound up in fear, too afraid to give our lives over to Jesus because we think, what will it mean? There may be one or two of you sitting here this morning thinking, well, I've, I've come along to church and I kind of think I might believe this kind of stuff, but if I give my life to him, where, what would it mean for my life? What will I have to give up? Let me tell you, the enemy doesn't want you to give your life to him, to Jesus. There is an enemy wants us to remain bound, too afraid to trust in God for our finances, too afraid to share our faith with our family. That's often very hard, isn't it? Too afraid to share our faith in the office. You know what it's like when the sexual innuendos are going around or the pornographic pictures are going up or you know, the backstabbing behind the boss. Sometimes it's really hard to stand out from that and to say, no, I don't, I'm not going for that. It's, it's, it's a fearful thing. Too afraid to step out in prophecy or healing. Always just too afraid. Well, this week of prayer is about asking God to strengthen us with courage. Yeah? Courage, you see, is one of our culture words as a church. We have five words and we kind of refer back to them. And, and culture is one of those words. We want to become a courageous people. We want to be courageous. So we'll be praying for that this week, to step out in ways we've dreamt of but never done. That's what we're going to be doing over these prayer times. So let me just say to you, if you're fearful this morning, int intimidated by the fear of man or, or just anxious, well, come to the prayer times. We're going to pray for courage. We're going to pray for courage. That's, that's the second thing. And that leads me to the third thing I, I see this church praying for. And, uh, and it's simply this. Look how bluntly and forcefully they pray for God's presence and power. I love this, verse 30. This is them praying. They say, God, uh, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and, and, and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And I think, what a prayer. And again, just to think about the context, the religious authorities, right, these Sanhedrin, these angry, hostile men, only a few months before this, they had crucified Jesus, hung him on a cross, shamed him in public, trampled them into the dust. These same men. And then only a few hours before, they'd taken the leaders of this church and thrashed them, absolutely thrashed them publicly for talking about Jesus. So in other words, if there's ever a time to keep your heads down and play it safe and hide away, it must have been at this moment. All right? Imagine being there back then at that time. You know, it's like, okay, we're not going to do any more alphas anymore. No alphas for a while. Uh, no hots or praying on the streets. We want to keep a low down. All right, we'll shut the website down. And uh, we probably won't meet here on a Sunday because we don't want to make a noise. Just meet in your connect groups. Keep your faith private. There must have been at least a temptation to do that. But <laughs> you look at it, it's, it's totally the opposite. It's not God help us keep our heads down. <laughs> it's God, 
pour out more of your mighty power. More, Lord. Higher profile of your grace. Come, more healing, more miracles. Come and show yourself to be God in this place. And the thing is, as they pray like that, you know, I look at this passage and what comes after, and you can catch the pleasure of God in it. You catch the pleasure of God and how God responds. It's like they're praying right into the center of God's heart. Yes, more, Lord. And folks, I just want to say this. This week we want to be doing the same. You see, over the past few years, we've seen some, yeah, praise God for the encouragements that we've seen. We've seen amazing some breakthroughs in healing and, and the prophetic uh, and even out on the streets. It's been a really encouraging season. But the truth is we want to pray for more, don't we? We want to see God do more. We want to pursue God for more. And as this church here prays for more, it's like the sail goes up and the wind of God catches them up for more. He really does. Verse 31, the next verse, straight after this prayer, it says this, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What a, what a wonderful result. It's raising a sail, catching the wind of God. And you see, I believe this. I believe his wind is always blowing, actually. It's always blowing. He's not willing that any should perish. His heart is to pour his knowledge of, his, of, of the glory of the Lord out on the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's what this week is about. It's raising a sail. The trouble is the church has not always had its sail up. Or if the sail is up, it's rather small. But when a big sail has gone up, God has done remarkable things. And the beautiful thing is you don't have to look far for examples of this, both in our, our day and in history just past. A few weeks ago, Nat mentioned the Hebrides revival of 1948-49. Uh, and actually, it's a revival that I love to read about, this mighty outpouring of the Spirit. In case you don't know what it's about, in the Hebrides, those islands off the coast of Scotland, God moved in incredible power. And it's a wonderful story of how, of how believers in this remote island, you know, the churches were empty, nothing much was happening spiritually, but a group of believers gathered to pray. Here's a photo of the two old ones there, the two old uh, ladies began to pray. One's 84 and blind, the other one was 82. And they just gathered together and they began to pray. And then not only those two, but they gathered others in from the, the local church. And so every Tuesday night and Friday night, a group of them gathered to cry out to God. And if you read their prayers, you'll see that their prayers are huge prayers. Prayers of God moving in glorious power. And then after a few months, things began to happen. A trickle of people started to come to church. And they decided then to send for an evangelist from Scotland to come in and hold a kind of a, a, an outreach for a week and a half, 10 days. And so this guy, Duncan Campbell, the guy in the middle there, he arrives late one evening, and Julian's going to read uh, his account of what happened on the very first evening. So Duncan Campbell arrives, it's late in the evening, and there's already a gathering of people up in the local church for him to start the outreach. And so afterwards, Duncan Campbell said, this is what happened. On the back of all the prayers that had been prayed, this is the first night of his preaching. So, thanks, mate. We got to the church about a quarter to nine to find about 300 people gathered. 
and I gave an address. Nothing really happened during the service. It was a good meeting, a sense of God, a consciousness of his spirit moving, but nothing beyond that. So I pronounced the benediction and we were leaving the church by about a quarter to eleven. Just then, the door of the church opens and the local blacksmith comes into the church and says, Mr. Campbell, something wonderful has happened. Oh, we were praying that God would pour out wa pour water on the thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And listen, he's done it, he's done it. When I went to the door of the church and I looked out, I saw a crowd of up to approximately 600 people. 600 people, where had they come from? What had happened? I believe that very night God swept in Pentecostal power, the power of the Holy Ghost. Men and women who had earlier gone to bed had risen, dressed and made for the church. 600 of them now were at the church standing outside. The blacksmith turned to me and said, I think we should sing a psalm. And they sang, and they sang, and they sang, verse after verse. Oh, what singing, what singing. And then the doors were opened, and the crowd outside flooded back into the church. Now the church was crowded. A church to seat over 800 was now packed to capacity. It was now going on towards midnight. I managed to make my way through the crowd along the aisle toward the pulpit. I found a young woman a teacher in the grammar school lying prostrate on the floor of the pulpit praying, Oh God, is there mercy for me? Oh God, is there mercy for me? That meeting continued until four o'clock in the morning. At four o'clock we decided to make for the manse. And just as I was leaving the church, a young man came to me and said, Mr Campbell, I would like you to go to the police station. I said, the police station? What's wrong? Oh, he said, there's nothing wrong, but there must be at least 400 people gathered around the police station just now. Now next to the police station was the cottage in which the two old women lived. There was a power there that drew men. A coachload had come over 12 miles to be there. Why? How did it happen? Who arranged it? They couldn't tell you, but they found themselves grouping together and someone saying, what about going to Barvis? I don't know, but I have a hunger in my heart to go there. I can't explain it. They couldn't explain it, but God had the situation in hand. I went to the house by the police station. As I walked along the country road, we had to walk about a mile, I heard someone praying on the roadside. I could hear this man crying out to God for mercy. I went over and there were four young men on their knees at the roadside. Now when I'm got to the police station, I saw something that will live with me as long as I live. I didn't preach. There was no need of preaching. We didn't even sing. The people were crying out to God for mercy. Oh, the confessions that were made. There was one old man crying out, Oh God, hell is too good for me. Hell is too good for me. This was on the very first night of a mighty demonstration that shook the island. Thank you. That's wonderful. That's the first night. That's the first night. Weeks follow of incredible visitation and hundreds and even thousands in the end being drawn to God. And there's an account, I read an account recently of, of a 14-year-old a, a who was saved during that time. He was in his late 70s or what that age was. 
and, 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 and he was being described as still so full of fire for God, so excited about what had happened. All on the back of prayers that are prayed of such substance and size. It's like a, a sail goes up and the Spirit of God fills it. Folks, that's what I long for. Don't you long for that? To see hundreds gathering, thousands gathering, not because we're good salesmen, because we're not. Not because we're good at hyping anything, because we're terrible at that. But because of the Spirit of God. <laughs> I get very moved by it, to be honest. God, do it. God, do it. Now, this week you say, well, what are you believing for, Peter? At the end of the week, is the building going to shake and thousands get saved? Well, I wouldn't say no, but probably it'll be stepping stones and stepping stones, believing God for more and for more and for more. We're praying because we had a word about breakthrough at the beginning of the year, and I believe that is from God, and God has already been breaking through in different lives and different situations. I'm believing for this week to be a week of breakthrough in all kinds of other ways. Really, what it is, though, is breakthrough in us that we might grow and have the capacity to pray far bigger prayers than we've ever prayed with real expectation and raise up a really big sail for a big door to open for a big God to move and for our lives to be changed. Folks, Jesus died for more than this. Jesus died for more than what we see in churches around this city and beyond. He died for far more. Let's, let's be bold this week and pray for big things to happen, shall we? Let's do it. What have we got to lose? But I believe scripturally we've got everything to gain. Let's stand.